Hi, this is Dion Baig from Butler Mortgage. We're currently ranked the number one mortgage brokerage in Ontario and number two in Canada. And much of our success is due to the fact that we help clients acquire multiple investment properties. If you'd like to talk with a mortgage advisor who specializes in investment property, you can reach me at 888-684-8326. To learn more about what's going on in the world of investment property financing, check out episode 23 of the Breakthrough Podcast, where I discuss the topic with Robin Sandy. Are you someone who has no idea that they can be heard? Has brilliant ideas and wants to get them out there? Has a podcast but can't keep up with the work or just wants to focus on things that matter? Then Podcast Engineers is your gateway to get your voice heard. They don't just edit your podcast. They enhance your listeners' experience. You simply do what you do best. That is to record and they do the rest. You can find them at podcastengineers.com. Rob and I have been using Podcast Engineers to help make our show sound great. Send them an email to get an episode edited free and a discounted plan. Breakthrough Real Estate Investing Podcast, Episode 67. Hello and welcome to the Breakthrough Real Estate Investing Podcast. We put this show together to inspire you and help you break through to the life that you want to live through the power of real estate investing. My name is Rob Brake. Here with me again, as usual, is the Sandy McKay. Hey Rob, how are you doing today? I'm good. Sandy, do I sound any different at all? I uh, sound pretty similar. Are you supposed to sound better? <laughs> no, I've got these uh, Invisalign braces in, so oh, I, I feel okay. like, at least to me, I sound like uh, I'm slobbering everywhere. But uh, <laughs> No, you're all good. You're all good. Okay. Good, good. The S's are a little bit tough to say, but have you, <laughs> these things are cool. Yeah, I know a few about, people with them, yeah. Yeah, and about like, you can't really see them. About six months, I'm going to have some straight teeth, so nice. excited about that. Anyway, so if uh, it is bugging some people, sorry, you're going to have to bear with me. What do we got today? Sandy, what advice do you have for the good people out there? Well, we've got a great guest on standby. We'll get to that in a minute. And then for now, everyone listening should jump on over to our website, BreakthroughREIPodcast.ca. Grab our free report on there, The Ultimate Strategy for Building Wealth Through Real Estate. And you can pick that up for free right there. Again, breakthroughreipodcast.ca. You also get on our email list. You'll hear some updates on what we're up to uh, outside of the show and some events and whatnot going forward. So jump in there and grab that, and then you won't miss out on any cool events coming up as well. Yeah, super exciting. And as well, you know, everyone should please go over to iTunes and write us a leave us a five star rating and a short review. It would really help us. And we do appreciate everyone that's done that so far. And I am going to read because we have just a couple of new ones. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and just give you guys a little bit of a taste of the kind of stuff that people are leaving for us. So let's just see here. Most recent. Okay, so here's just a few of the ones that we've gotten recently. The first one says, just fantastic, and it's got five stars by KT Sask. He says, I've been looking for Canadian real estate content for a while, and I've recently hit the jackpot with this podcast. Keep up the good work, boys. 
Oh, here we go. Someone's given us a, a not a five star review, Sandy. <laughs> okay. Let's... This one says bad sound quality, but good content. Podcast <laughs> needs better editing. Hosts often sound muffled. Lots of additional noise, such as paper shuffling and other movement noises close to the microphone. Please review shows and work on editing. Extra noisy makes it difficult to listen. And that was a three-star left by uh, Shy2526. Um, just We've got a bunch, actually, since the last time I read them, but I'll just do one more, okay? Yeah. So let's, end on a is, good, let's end on a good one. <laughs> they're all good. Like, I mean, even that one says good content. We do have to work on our sound quality. I do notice that there is some noise in there. No, but, you know, one of the earlier ones. I know we had a couple in there that were a bit rough. Listen, guys, lately, so. we put this out for free. Sandy and I sit down and hook up with guests and just put this all together for free. So we haven't got the big fancy editing equipment or sound equipment. We just kind of chill out. We get on Skype and we just go for it. So, you know, maybe one day when, hey, you know what? Shy2526, send us some editing equipment and, <laughs> uh, and then uh, we'll make sure the show sounds better. But, uh, okay, so this is the last one. It says, Game Changer, five stars by Expansion Properties. He says, my partner and I are real estate investors in Victoria, B.C., holding currently 11 units. This podcast has been a game changer for us. It offers unparalleled insight into real estate investing in Canada and has even connected us with other real estate investors. The entertaining antics of Sandy and Rob are an added bonus. Elizabeth Milder. So thank you guys. Really do appreciate these reviews. Again, it's uh, really awesome that you guys have taken the time to go over there and do that, and we do appreciate it a lot. So without further ado, we're going to get to our guest today, Luke Wyrot. He's going to talk to us about development in the uh, Toronto area, and uh, I believe Sandy has a bio for him. Yeah, absolutely. So Luke is the president of lifestyle real estate investments, uh, lifestyle custom homes, and LCH developments. And he's a professional engineer, certified project manager. He previously worked in the private industry as a project manager, where he was part of a team that managed projects up to $100 million in value. So some pretty big uh, projects there. And with the skills he gained in that private industry, he started his own custom home building company and a successful real estate development company as well. So currently he's doing projects that are ranging from one to $50 million in value. And Luke firmly believes in building a high quality product that offers unique user experience. And he's passionate about innovative engineering and construction techniques and modern building design. So yeah, welcome to the show, Luke or Lucas, whichever you prefer. And uh, it- Luke is fine. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me on the show. Yeah, thanks, Luke. I'm glad you were able to come on. And as usual, we had a bunch of technical difficulties before the show, so we kept you for like a half an hour trying to figure all of that stuff out. I was telling you, you know, this is something really odd. I have no idea how this happened, but like the middle section of my keyboard on my computer stopped working. So when I was trying to uh, add Luke on Skype, I couldn't get half of the letters. So I was opening different uh, Word documents and stealing the letters I needed to add them in and pasting them in the right spot. So it was a tedious little <laughs> endeavor here, and it's time to get a new computer, I guess. Apparently, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, that won't do. Yeah, thanks again for being here. 
And Luke, was there, was there anything in that intro that we missed out or, or maybe just you can expand beyond that and, and tell us a bit about who you are, what your company is all about and what you do? Yeah, so the intro was uh, fairly basic. So myself and my brother, we actually own those three different companies together. We went into business together kind of right when I got out of school. He was still in school at the time. So, yeah, we both came to Canada. I was 10. I think he was about five years old. So we were in a definition of a fog. I remember my parents used to send me to school with herring for lunch and dress me up in purple sweatpants. So (laughs) you can imagine I was probably I was one of the coolest kids in the school. But, you know, that experience, I think, just made me stronger later on in life, especially now. Uh, So I went to school at Ryerson University. I got an engineering degree. I worked for six years in the private industry. I got my professional engineering designation and I gained a ton of valuable uh, project management experience during that time. And as soon as I started working, I understood the concept of real estate. And the main thing that stuck out to me was uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I read that book and when I started working, I was like, okay, now it's time to start buying rental properties. Uh, so right out of school, I bought my first rental property using other people's money. And, you know, the snowball effect with persistence and you know, diligence, the snowball gets bigger and bigger over the years. So I've been involved in real estate in one form or another for about 11 years now. And I quit my job, I think it was about five years ago, but at that time, me and my brother ended up accumulating 25 rental properties, you know, which were student rentals, small multiplexes, single families, rent homes, duplexes. I feel like I did it all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a little bit uh, also about myself is I have an amazing wife. We're going to be having our first kid in September, which is uh, amazing and, and another great challenge for myself. And about our company, like you said, Sandy, we own a custom home building company. We firmly believe in real estate as a wealth creation opportunity. And really, our passions is real estate development. And we tackle various types of projects in the greater Toronto area. I wouldn't say just Toronto because we're actually going to be working on a huge project in uh, downtown Hamilton. I can't about the specifics yet but it's going to be spectacular oh cool so well when we find out about it we'll have to get back in touch with you then so i mean by the sounds of it we can actually pick your brain congratulations on the baby by the way first thing thank first. you yeah that's exciting but we could actually pick your brain about a whole bunch of different things but uh, today we're going to talk mostly about development right so um yeah. Uh, how did you get started in land development then? And sort of take us from that spot to where you are now in the development field. Right. Okay, sure. How I started in land development, it was kind of by by chance. Eventually, when I reached the limit with the amount of rental properties that I could own, the banks basically stopped lending to me. And so I knew it was time to quit my job. And I decided to go into property flipping. So I would buy properties, do renovations, and then sell them. I converted, you know, some single family houses into duplexes. And I just love building. I love taking a piece of land or property and transforming it into something 
special or amazing. And I loved seeing the positive changes that I was making uh, to the neighborhoods where I was investing. So, you know, I started with small renovations, moved on to full gut renovations. Then I moved into a brand new, like, custom home building. And that's when Lifestock Custom Homes was created. Over the past, I don't know, five years or so, we built over a dozen custom homes. And I love this process. So every time I wanted to do something bigger and better and uh, something that would make more money for myself and my investors. So I went into uh, doing severances. And I'm not sure if you know, but a severance is when you take one property and split it up into two. Okay. So the first, yeah, the first few projects, we severed the lots into two lots. We bought another property after we severed it into four lots. We did another one and we severed it into six lots. And eventually severances, I guess, got boring. So I decided to <laughs> up my game and, and I wanted to take on bigger projects. I realized, the funny thing is, I realized that doing a severance or doing, uh, you know, let's say 20 unit development, it almost takes you the exact same amount of time to get the approvals. And the construction is more or less the same as well. So it just kind of made sense to take on bigger projects. So uh, what is it? I think it was four years ago, we bought a piece of land and we put a 26 unit development on it. It was a condo type ownership. So that on the site, there was 12 townhouses and we actually took an old church and converted it into 14 lofts. And, you know, that that went very, very well. And we bought another lot. Now we're going to be doing a 180 unit condo on that lot. From the bottom up, we ended up buying four separate properties, combining them together. And we're just kind of in the approval process now. Uh, so that kind of, I guess that kind of sums up where I am today. That's fantastic. Did you say 180? 180 units. Yeah. Rental units. Condo units. They'll be for sale. I know, I know there will be a lot of investors that are going to be buying into the project. Uh huh. Uh huh. Cool. So let's just go back to the very first one and how you got started. Let's talk about that one a little bit. Sure. So the very first one, the townhouse development. Is that your first development deal? It depends on what you define development, like a, a severance. I would consider that as a development as well. As long as you developed on the, like I'm talking about basically, so when you wanted to build on the lot. So sort of walk us through that the first time you built from scratch. Okay, so the first severance that I did, it was actually, it was on Allen Avenue. It was a, it's a one-way street. And if you're driving down this one-way street, it's mostly semi-detached houses or townhouses. And there's three or four bungalows on this street. The bungalow was 33 foot wide by 75 feet wide. With some of the experience that I gained before and my knowledge of the Planning Act, I knew that I would be able to take it and actually divide it into two. So that's kind of exactly what we did. We ended up going to the Committee of Adjustments, got our approvals, and we ended up building two semi-detached houses on this 33 by 70 foot lot. So the 70 foot lot was the front and 33 was the depth? Uh, 33 is the frontage, right? That's right. 33 was the frontage. Really? And they let you sever that into two? Okay. That's interesting. Yeah, that 
that's downtown Toronto. You mm-hmm. can you can go you can go as small as fourteen fourteen foot lots. <laughs> wow, that's amazing. Okay, and so you must have had some learning experiences, some snags, some uh, lessons learned in that. So, do you want to tell us about it? Oh, for sure. There was there were a ton of learning experiences. First one is do not develop on a one way street. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Why not? That was a nightmare. On one side of the street, there's parking, so there's really only one lane where people drive through. And we were located right in the middle of this one-way street. So construction access was a nightmare. Coordination was a nightmare. Getting materials on site. I mean, it was hard. It was difficult. We got it done. It was just a little more stressful than it needed to be. Another actually great lesson learned from that one, now that I think about it, is get to know the neighbors very well. Because whenever you have to go to the committee of adjustments, to present your case for the severance or the minor variance or whatever it is you're doing. It is great being armed with letters of support from the neighbors, especially the immediate neighbors. We actually ended up getting the support of one neighbor. The other neighbor didn't give us support, but you know, people on the street were more or less in support of our application. So when we went to the committee and we presented our case, you only get five minutes to speak in front of the committee, so it's not a lot of time. You know, we presented our case, we showed them the letters of support, and we had a great planning justification for the severance. We ended up getting the approvals. Right. Okay. So now the people that didn't agree with you, were they there in protest? There was a couple. Yes. Yeah, there was a couple of people there in protest. One of them didn't speak any English, so he didn't have much to say. Okay. <laughs> just there. Another person was there, and their main issue was that, you know, it's going to block, it's going to create too much noise, it's going to block off access to the street, and it's going to make their lives a little uncomfortable. Oh, just for the construction period. So they didn't have disagreement with what was actually being built on the lots. Because I was going to say, it would be pretty hard in, where was that, downtown Toronto? Yeah. Yeah, it'd be pretty hard to say that that kind of build didn't fit in the neighborhood. So I was wondering what the protests were going to be. Yeah, I, well, we we did have one person that did say that they thought the house was too modern. That we were building. Oh, okay. That's <laughs> and it's making oh, yeah, all theirs look bad. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's more traditional houses on the street, and they're like, oh, this modern house is not going to fit in. But you know what? It fits in split. Like, it looks amazing on the street. Now. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, there. That's perfect. Well, thank you for sharing all that stuff. Yeah. So, what about, like, as far as the build itself, the, the construction? Did you run into any bumps in the road there? Yeah. Yeah. So, the construction was difficult. Because of it being on the one-way street, something else that we learned was uh, the house was detached, and we assumed everything was detached from you know the neighbors. Even though the house was probably about an inch away from the neighbor to the west, it was still detached. Okay. When we started going in to do some of the demolition, we ended up finding that two houses shared one foundation wall. Oh. 
So it was like a complete surprise, kind of paused the construction for a bit while we figure that out. We had to work things out with the neighbor that wasn't really gung ho about the development to start with. We had to be very careful during the demolition as well. And we had an issue where, you know, a two by four went right through the neighbor's wall because they had no exterior sheathing. Basically, all they had on their exterior wall was insulation. That's it. It was these type of things that, you know, we should have maybe done a little more due diligence, but it's just something that, you know, you couldn't predict. Now I know, now it's on my checklist, but yeah, you couldn't visualize that it could be sharing a foundation well. Yeah. And my point of actually having you share all this stuff is to show that like, you know, you've come such a long way from there. Now you're doing huge development projects and it's not like people forget that, you know, you started somewhere just like they're going to have to if they want to get into this type of thing as well. So you started out, you did one project, you ran into a bunch of problems, probably a bunch of times you threw your hands up in the air and said, okay, you know what, this wasn't even worth it halfway through the project maybe wanted to quit i know i've been there doing different things yeah (laughs) so i think we all have but you don't right like it's the people that keep on going that end up you know maybe making it to where you are today yeah absolutely yeah i don't think we've i don't think i've had any many deals that have gone smooth the whole way i don't can't think of one so for sure and the bigger bigger the problems usually the bigger the prize at the end so as long as you can push through. So two-part question for you. How do you find your potential sites and, and what do you look for when you are looking for these properties or development sites? Mm-hmm. That's a tough question to answer simply because there's so many things that come into play when you're looking at an ideal development site. And as a developer, a developer needs to know a little about a lot in order to make an educated decision You know, whether they want to pursue the property and then spend, you know, thousands of dollars in due diligence costs. So I can give you my top down approach on how to look up properties that will make a successful development. Sure. Let's do it. (laughs) All right. So the way that I would start in my top down approach, the way I start is uh, you start at the macro level and then you dig deeper and then go down to the micro level. And whether you're developing in Canada or North America, it's important to have a specific focus and you need to narrow that focus so you don't get distracted by all these other opportunities that, you know, you can find everywhere, you know, in BC, so to speak, or, or Alberta or Ontario, Hamilton, Toronto, you know, there's opportunities everywhere. So what you got to do is you got to choose the province, first of all, then choose the city And if the city is big enough, choose the neighborhood in which you want to develop. And this will require you doing a lot of uh, high-level research before you even start looking at potential land for development. Try to research and try to figure out as much as you can about the area. Uh, Spend time, uh, you know, going to seminars, listening to these type of podcasts, learning about the economics of the area, the population growth where it's going, you know, the income for the area, where it's going, a job, whether there's any new jobs happening in the area, whether there's transportation improvements are a big one as well, or other capital improvements happening in the area. Because you got to have this macro focus 
because developments can take years to complete from start to finish. And if you choose an area with strong, you know, economic fundamentals to support the development, then, you know, years in the future, you'll have much less risk if there is a slowdown or a correction in the market. So next step, now that we have, you know, our area that we want to invest or develop narrowed down, it's time to look at the zoning to see what can be developed in that area. And so let's just assume that we want to develop a property in Ontario. So developing in Ontario, I'm sure most listeners of the show are from Ontario. So developing properties in Ontario were governed by uh, the province of, of Ontario, which has the Planning Act. You know, they have the Provincial Policy Statements, the Places to Grow Act, the Greenbelt Act, and the Heritage Act. And all of these are high-level policies. Uh, municipalities take these policies and they implement them to create their official plan, the growth plans, uh, secondary plans, and then they develop the zoning bylaws from all this. So there's a ton of great information that can be found inside the official plan. And I'll recommend anyone to actually go read it. I know it can be 100 pages long, but you can see what the municipality strategy is for the next you know, 10, 15 years and where they want to see development and what type of development they're looking for. And most of the time, it'll tell you in the official plan specific areas that they want to see developed. Right. So that way you're not fighting with them to get approval. You've almost basically said, look, we're going to bring you what you want. Exactly. We're going to try to bring you what you want, more or less, more or less. Okay. So next, okay, so now that you have this higher level view, now you will go out and actually start looking for potential development sites in these specific areas. And it's probably smart to look at more than one area at the same time because it can take very long to find and buy development sites. And when you're looking for these sites, you should have a vision of what it is that you want to develop. So if you want to develop, you know, townhouses, then you got to find sites or look for sites that can handle townhouses. If you want to develop a condo high rise, then you they need to look for sites that will get approvals for a condo. Or if you're looking to do a severance, then you got to find sites that will most likely get the severance approved. Mm-hmm. So finding the sites is the hard part. I mean, if you're doing a severance, you can probably find the sites on uh, MLS or just doing some door knocking. If you're buying, you know, larger properties or you're doing land assemblies, then it's much more difficult. And that's when you got to be creative. You may need to pull title for the various properties to find out where the owners live, send letters to the owners, do some door knocking as well. And, you know, it can take months, even years for owners of these properties to change their outlook and decide that they want to sell the property then. So you got to be persistent. Mm -hmm. You could work with a commercial real estate agent. Most development sites are not put on the MLS. They're exclusive listings. So you need to have contacts with, uh, you know, some good commercial real estate agents that just deal with development. That's another way to find sites. Although working with commercial real estate agents, you won't find the best deal, so to speak, because there's other purchasers that are looking at these sites as well. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, all these factors, you know, will come into play when you're looking at these sites and you're going to be putting in offers and you're going to be analyzing the site. And 90 percent of the cases, the site will not work. You'll be putting in offers and the price you and the 
owner will be off too much on the price to make the development financially feasible. And, and you just got to be persistent and, you know, maybe wait a few years for the owner to change their mind. Yeah, able to walk away from it. And so you say you do that 90% of the time. It's just not going to work out. You got to move on and find something else. That's right. That's got to be tough to do, though, right? Yeah, it is. It is. But I made the mistake of trying to make a development work before. And I think I made like 5,000 bucks on it. So when you do have, let's say you do have a site that you want to put an offer on, the site needs, for me personally, the site needs to have four things in place. One of them is either it has favorable zoning or there are very good precedents for the development that you want to do. Because you, you do not want to be the first person that does something on a street, whether even if, it, if it's a severance, no one else has done it and you're the first one, you do not want to be the first person. The second thing is it's got to be a desired area. So wherever I'm looking, it's got to be an area that is either gentrifying, there's transportation improvements, or there's been other successful developments in the area. This will mitigate sales risks as well as market risk down the road. The third thing is the, in the industry, we call it the profit to expense ratio. Banks, they need to see a minimum of 10%. I prefer to be in the 15% range. So that has to be in place for the site. So I'll do analysis to make sure that we can get that for that specific property. And the fourth thing is that you should have a backup plan or an exit strategy just in case things don't work out. So you, you want to try to minimize the risks of uh, not buying a vacant land if it doesn't work out and having to hold it for years, possibly going bankrupt. So have a clear exit strategy in place. And the profit to expense, that's for generally for a land deal is what you're talking about, right? For any development deal. Any type, okay. Any type. So if you're doing a severance, if it really is for anything. The banks, I mean, for the smaller developments, the banks don't really look at it. But if you start asking for loans over, like, let's say, one, two million dollars, they'll start looking at the profit to expense ratio. And all that is, is you take the profit. So let's say if you're going to make a million bucks on this thing and you divide that by the total expenses. So that includes your all your soft costs, your land costs, your city charges, your construction costs. It includes all those items. And if it's over 10%, then it's good. Then the banks will look at it. The bank, if it's under 10%, the banks won't even touch it. And we try to stay within, you know, about 15%, although it's very hard to find those. Nice. Okay. So that is your four steps in there. And then what happens? So I guess if it meets all of that, then you would put in your offer. And that's when the real work starts. You know, developers, they're, they're non, I think I said this before, they're non-specialists. They may have a background experience in one thing or in one aspect of the development, such as project management or engineering. But there's so many other aspects that come into play with developments that you really need great consultants on board. So assuming that you have a property locked down and you put in an offer and now you're in your, in the due diligence stage. So for developments, uh, due diligence can take, you know, six months. I mean, three months is the shortest we've ever done due diligence on. Six months, it can take nine months. 
the due diligence for these type of developments, they, they can be long. And what you do during the due diligence is you start racking up fees and start spending money. So you, before you even put in the offer, you got to make sure that it's something that you're comfortable with spending money, knowing that in the end, it might not work out and you'll have to back out and lose thousands of dollars. So during the due diligence, uh, what we always do is we get an architect and a planner and we develop some preliminary plans of what we think that we can build on it. Another important aspect is the soil. One of them is whether the soil is good and it can handle the weight of the development. And the other aspect is whether the soil is clean. So you have to do environmental studies. You may have to do drilling. And this is especially true if you're close to, um, you know, let's say a car mechanic or let's say 70 years ago, there was an oil tank, which happened to us before. There was an oil tank buried in the ground. No one knew about it. And then you start doing the environmental testing and you're like, wow, all the soil is contaminated with oil because the tank ended up leaking and it's going to cost $600,000 to remediate. That can quickly change whether you're going to go through with the development. Mm. Uh, it's important to look at the history of the site, look at the area uh, during your due diligence, speak with the neighbors, look at previous developments and see if there was opposition to them or if there were any developments that were um I guess, rejected by the city. That's good information to have during this stage. And then you prepare a detailed pro forma, you know, getting all the costs down, the construction costs, the city costs, your sales revenue. And if it looks good during the due diligence, you would set up a meeting with the city. It's called a preliminary project review, a PPR. They call it in Toronto. And you go there and you, you show them your plans you tell them, this is what we're looking at doing. What are your thoughts? Are we in line or are we just out to lunch? And they'll be pretty honest with you. They may say, oh, well, we think it's too many stories or we think it's too much. Or they may say, they won't say they love it, but they'll say, oh, this is nice. This is nice. So, you know, you know, they're in support. Okay. So when you're comfortable with the meeting and everything, then if there's anything bad that came out of it, then there may be other negotiations that happen with the seller. But, you know, once you're comfortable, then you remove your conditions. And that's kind of when the real fun begins. That's when uh, you open your wallet and make it rain. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I know there's, what, probably about 40 more steps to go through. So from this point here. But that, I think, is the really uh, sort of the meat of finding the proper development site. So that's really good. So you were talking a little bit ago about coming up with that 15%, which is the amount that you said you're comfortable with. So how exactly do you do that? Do you work with partners? So the 15% profit to expense ratio, is that what you're talking about? Oh, I thought you were saying what you needed to come up with was 15% of the project to begin. That's just a profit to expense ratio. You do need 15%. We have gotten as low as 13%, but we were required to go up as high as 25% as uh, equity into the project. Right. And so how do you come up with that? For that, we have investors. We've always worked with investors. We don't, we don't have too much money. We just have you know the hard work ethics, so to speak. So. So how did you get hooked up with them? Where do they find you? That kind of thing. 
I think it was just people were seeing what we were doing. And, you know, some of these people, they started investing with us earlier on some of our rental properties. We made money together and they kind of just been putting their money into future and future deals. We did get one fairly big investor a few years ago that really liked, it, it was more personal. They liked us. They liked our values mm-hmm. and they felt, felt that we were honest and they could trust us. So that investor, you know, they, they've invested millions of dollars into some of these developments with us. You will need private lenders for mortgages, but that, that's much easier to find. It's much harder to find the equity investors mm-hmm. and the equity investors for us, we prefer high net worth individuals, but we've also done, actually we're doing our first LP, which is a limited partnership. We're setting up an offering memorandum and this allows uh, smaller investors to invest, let's say 50, a hundred, $250,000 into developments and they get shares inside the, they basically become owners of the development project and they get shares in the development. Okay, that's interesting. Well, we're going to get all of your contact info at the end of the show. So can you walk us through a bit of the procedure on how you would, maybe just briefly, because we've talked about a lot of it, how do you go through with the project after all that? Like, was there a couple other steps there that you could briefly go work us through to the end, or is it getting too complex? Uh, I mean, let me try to be as brief as I can then. <laughs> sure. Okay, so we removed our due diligence. And we're ready to proceed with the development at this stage. So you're going to hire all the other consultants on board. You'll need the, the architect, planner, um, project manager, structure engineer, mechanical engineer, electrical engineer, civil engineer, traffic consultant, noise consultants, wind consultants, energy modeling consultant, uh, environmental engineer, soil engineer, hydrogeological engineer, construction manager, marketing team, so marketing design firm, interior designer, sales team, and a PR person, I recommend. So you hire all those people on and you would start preparing plans and preparing a strategy on how you're going to get to the finish line. Mm-hmm. And these, these consultants will be able to guide you with what steps you need to take, you know, d- different types of uh, applications they have different timelines. Like some minor variants will have a shorter timeline than a rezoning as opposed to an official plan amendment, which has, you know, a much longer timeline. So you'll need these consultants to uh, provide reports and studies throughout the various stages of the planning process. And once you get all of these studies and drawings completed, you would, there, there's back and forth with the city specifically for a site plan. But if you're doing a bigger development, there's a site plan process and all the departments of the city get involved. You have, you're armed with your consultants. They prepare the reports and you submit it all to the city. The city staff, they don't have as many people as you have working for you. So it takes them much longer to review everything, but they review everything and they come back with comments. And this can take up to a year, a year and a half to get the final approvals. Assuming that you receive your approvals, then you can move on. Then your next step will be the detailed design stage if the approval was not appealed. And, you know, after the detailed design, you get your building permit. 
you know, six months before starting construction, you will start to look at construction financing. And also about the same time, you would also start tendering the drawings to various subcontractors and contractors to price out the construction for you and get from contracts in place. That's one of the things that construction financiers will require as well. After that, you start construction. I think construction is the easiest part of the entire process. Yeah, I would imagine it would be. Just because like all of these people that you mentioned, all those engineers, they're sort of weaving in and out of the plans and they come up at different times and there's different orders that each thing needs to be done in and all that stuff has to be managed very, very carefully in order for things to work out properly. So it's sort of a intricate web, I guess. It is, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so... I know we can talk all day because obviously this isn't something that can just be spelled out in an hour, right? So I think that what we'll do is we're going to leave it there. I know you've got a wealth of other information that you can give us, but uh, maybe we'll have you back on and we can talk about the next section of it. I just think that for people to take off, like bite off a little bit, chew on it, and then come back for some more information later on. So we did have a question in here for you about, uh, is there a book that you would recommend? Okay, well, there is one book. Well, well, there's been many books that have helped me along the way. There's two books. It's specifically if you're looking at getting into uh, development. They're more U.S.-based, but they're also applied to Canada. I would highly recommend Reading Finance for Real Estate Development by Charles Long. And also the Urban Land Institute has a book that they published a few years ago, uh, and it's called Professional Real Estate Development, and that one's pretty good. Oh, well, those both sound perfect. Both of those are good. They're meaty, and they're great for beginning real estate developers. Awesome. Another great book that I just read, it's called Total Recall. I don't know if you read it or listened to it or not. It's by Arnold Schwarzenegger. No, I haven't, but nice. someone no, else just recommended that, that to me as well. Yeah, no, it, it is. I thought it was a great book. It's an autobiography about him uh, and tells you a lot about him. I never knew that he started a company when he first came to the USA, which was just bodybuilders doing home renovations for people. So that, that must have been hilarious. <laughs> so great I didn't work, know that man. one actually either. I, know I didn't know that, but I've heard an inter- I've heard actually a couple of interviews with him, and he's a he's a pretty big time real estate investor as well. He is. Yeah, yeah. He, he actually was in real estate. I didn't know that either before reading this, but he was into real estate. He did real estate development. He talks a bit about that in a book, and I think the biggest thing from the book is just on his mindset. Mm-hmm. And that was the biggest thing that came out of for me, just the mindset that he had the entire time. But, you know, he can do he can get it done. And he had this clear goal, clear vision, always about educating himself. You know, he would spend work for 16 hours a day then go to school for teach himself for four hours and then, you know, go to sleep and then get back to it. Like it was fascinating. I would highly recommend. Okay, so what would be your number one tip then for any investor or somebody listening to this who are interested in real estate development? My number one tip would be to ask lots and lots of questions. Use the city staff, 
use your consultants, use your lawyer, your contractors, other builders, the banks, use them all to your advantage and ask them as many questions as you can. You may look silly, you may sound dumb, you may look stupid, but you know, trust me in the end, it's better to look dumb for a little bit than, you know, make a mistake and that costs you thousands of dollars or hundreds of thousands of dollars. I like that. Yeah, it's awesome. There's lots of nuggets in this one. I guess there was more we could have got into, but I think you're right. There's a lot of good stuff in there for starters anyways. And and then if uh, if somebody's listening and they want to reach out and learn more from you directly, Luke, what's the best way for people to do that? They can email me. So Lucas, L-U-K-A-S, at L-C-H dot T-O. And, and who, I, what, what kind of people should be reaching out to? Should it be people looking to invest, people looking to learn? What's the best way? Uh, people looking to invest. I mean, my assistant can always guide people if they're looking for information on specifically. But yeah, people are looking to invest or if they want to at least partner with our company in one way or another. Okay, what was the email again one more time? Uh, so Lucas, that's L-U-K-A-S at lch dot to perfect okay well thanks for everything luke really appreciate you coming on again yeah like sandy said i mean i realized once we got to like step five and we were basically on the cusp of starting the construction that there's just so much to get into you know i think that uh, we should definitely talk again and because I know that you've got all kinds of other stories and info that you can share about the actual construction process as well. Oh, yeah. I didn't even get into any of my stories, really. <laughs> no, not really. You did send us a couple of stories, too, that sounded pretty good. <laughs> Should we leave with one or no? Is it, do we have time for one? Sure. One one? Yeah, let's do it, actually. All right. So one quick story. All right. Let me think. Give us your um, best story. No pressure. <laughs> go <laughs> okay I'm going to talk about I think the townhouse project that was the most interesting one so that one we started you know a few years ago it's in Leslieville in Toronto and we had a great site the city was fully in support of us uh, we actually had letters of recommendation and actually Tons of neighbors from around the area, they were in support of our development as well. And so we went to the Committee of Adjustments, and we ended up getting rejected. What we didn't know was the neighbor to the south, which was uh, some Korean, was actually a house that must have had 20 or 25 people living in it. But they're Koreans, and the counselor was very good friends with them. So we got rejected, and we had to appeal the decision. And eventually we got approved at the Ontario Municipal Board. So as you can imagine, the neighbors to the south were upset that we ended up getting our approvals. What problem did they have with it? Well, the main thing was the grandfather didn't want the development to happen because the townhouse, the people living in the townhouses, they will be able to look into his house and look at his granddaughter's. Oh, wow. Okay. That was their reason. <laughs> that you was know, their reason. So he would have appreciated a gift of curtains. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Well, he, he said, no, don't put any windows on that side or move the townhouses 20 feet, you know, move the townhouses 20 feet that way. That, so that, that was his That people solution. might peep at his granddaughters. That was the, that that was was the, the thing. That was the biggest concern, yeah. Okay. And so this old man, like, he was crazy. During the construction, he would set up shop on the sidewalk. He would have a sign around his neck protesting the development. One time during the construction, he came on site. There was a construction access for the workers. He tied a chain around his neck and he tied that chain to a fence and he just stood there. He wouldn't let anyone go onto the site. So, you know, we had to get police involved. The counselor got involved again. Eventually, the family ended up flying him to Korea just to <laughs> get him away from there because he was I think he was causing them stress as well. Well, yeah, I mean, it's really too bad that somebody would get that worked up about it. I mean, especially if that was his true belief, you know, was that his granddaughters, I guess, were in jeopardy. Yeah. (laughs) You know, it is too bad. But yeah, I mean, obviously, we can't have stuff like that holding up your project, you know. Mm -hmm. But it's it's a big issue in the development industry. They call it like NIMBY. I don't know if you ever heard the term. No. No? So NIMBY stands for not in my backyard. Right. Okay. And there's a lot of, like, lately, more and more now, and especially with the OMB being removed, like, these neighbors, they have a lot more say, and, you know, they can cause you a lot more stress and delay your developments for much longer. I don't know what to say about it. I don't like it. But that's kind of where things are going with that. Well, I think, I mean, unfortunately, you did have to go to the Ontario Municipal Board. But I think when it gets to that level, they're able to see things a little more clearly as well. You know, they're looking at what's best for the province overall and not specifically to just somebody in the neighborhood not agreeing with what you're doing. Mm -hmm. Interesting and entertaining, but, you know, unfortunate at the same time. Right. So, mm-hmm. wow. You weren't peeping at the granddaughters, were you? <laughs> no, no, no. no. Well, that's that's not, my, not my couple of <laughs> Okay. Well, anyway, uh, that's a good one. All right. Okay. Thanks again, Luke. Really do appreciate you being on and uh, looking forward to speaking to you again. Right. Well, yeah. Thanks, thanks. Rob. Andy. Have a great day. All right. You too. Bye. Bye.